Well, again, let me say good morning to you all. It is good to be back. It has been a wonderful yet different and unique Christmas season, a wonderful and yet unique New Year's. Um, it was very strange for us uh, being just home and being together, though nice. Uh, we did miss out on opportunities to be with family uh, during this season just due to sicknesses and other reasons that were beyond our control, but it was still good to be together. I uh, had a lot of time of just being together as a family, which I think is a good thing. I think our kids had a good time hanging out with their parents. I'm not real sure yet. You can ask them for yourselves. Uh, we, uh, if you don't know much about our family, we are a family that likes to play games. Uh, so we did spend a lot of time playing games, as I did many of you as well. We also uh, attempted several puzzles, uh, one still being done now, but one that was almost completed. It was about 99.9% completed. And if you know what I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you get down to the last piece and you realize either A, the last piece didn't come in the box, or B, someone in your home grabbed the last piece and they're holding it for ransom. And so that's what happened to us in our home. Uh, this wonderful puzzle come together. We were very excited. And wouldn't you know, the middle piece of the puzzle that kind of puts the whole picture together was completely missing. Now, I believe it was in the box. I just believed in the midst of uh, the chaos and confusion that comes with Christmas and the cleanup thereafter. I believe the piece is somewhere in the home. Uh, I don't know where, but I'm confident that once we do some cleaning, more cleaning, more cleanup, spring cleaning, throwing things away, I imagine the piece will turn up and then you're left with that ultimate decision. If you've ever put a puzzle together, now that you found the missing piece, do you do it again? Or do you just let it go and say, we'll check that off the list? That's predominantly a win. Some of you are already giving me the thumbs up going, that's a win, let it go. And so I'm, I'm with you there. Well, here we are. We are back together again. We are back uh, in our series that we've titled Letters from uh, the Pastor, where again, we've been looking at Paul's words to uh, two very prominent yet very young pastors. Now we've already seen and read Paul's words that he wrote to Titus. We have already read his letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy. And so now now what we're going to do over the next several weeks that we have together, by God's grace, we are going to focus on his final letter to Timothy, which can be found in 2 Timothy. Now before we dive into our text, I want us to just really take a look at the really the differences between 1 Timothy and uh, 2 Timothy. You see, in 1 Timothy, we actually find that Paul is, is traveling. He's hoping to visit Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, he's provided some instruction and some practice for for uh, the local church, and he ends up addressing matters in the church like offices of ministry, um, widow care, uh, elders, and public worship for the believer. Now, when we get into 2 Timothy, you're going to notice quickly that uh, the tone of Paul is going to change as Paul begins to focus more here on the personal ministry of Timothy. You see, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Paul was actually imprisoned in Rome. And based on the letter, as we read it and as we get further into it, we're gonna, we can clearly assume that a court hearing has already happened and Paul expects to be executed soon, perhaps within days or even months of the receipt of this letter. So even though we know that Luke is with him, we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we are still 
still left with the vision of a war-torn, weary, and battered apostle left alone in a cold prison. So as we're reading this letter, and again, just a shameless plug, we're going to be in 2 Timothy for the next few weeks, so if you want to get ahead in your reading, you know where we're going to be for the next few weeks. But in reading the letter, particularly in reading this letter in its context, we're going to begin to see Paul's passion for the gospel, but we're also going to see the personal tone with which he writes to Timothy. So as you're reading, you're not only going to see a deeply personal letter that's being written from one man to another, but we should also begin to see that these words that Paul gives to Timothy are also deeply theological. You see, when you read 2 Timothy, you should quickly begin to pick up that this letter is saturated with gospel content or gospel-centered content, so much so that in writing about 2 Timothy, John Stott writes, Paul's preoccupation in writing to Timothy was with the gospel, the deposit of truth, which had been revealed and committed to him by God. So as we read this letter, we're going to see that Paul calls Timothy and calls us today as well to guard the gospel. He calls us to suffer for the gospel, to continue in the gospel, and to then proclaim the gospel. So as we dive into 2 Timothy, Paul is now going to answer the following question. What is the gospel? Well, we are going to see throughout 2 Timothy that the gospel is Christological. In other words, it's about Jesus Christ. You see, there is no gospel, there is no good news apart from Jesus. We're also going to see that the gospel is biblical. In other words, we see that God presented the saving work of Jesus Christ in the Holy Scriptures. We will then see that the gospel is historical. In other words, Christ appeared in human history and will come again to usher in his heavenly kingdom. As we continue to read in 2 Timothy, we'll see that the gospel is doctrinal. In other words, this letter is going to begin to speak of important doctrines that we should know and believe in. Doctrines like the promise of life and the doctrine of sovereign grace, the, the doctrine of victory over death and the Spirit's indwelling, the doctrine of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and yes, the doctrine of election. We will then read of the doctrine of the union with Christ and repentance and ultimately we will end with the doctrine of future rewards. So you see in this letter, Paul is going to write to Timothy and really begin to unpack each of these wonderful truths for us today. Now, Paul will go on from there in 2 Timothy and teach us that the gospel is personal. You see, as we read in 2 Timothy, we'll read how the gospel must be received personally by faith. In other words, no one can do it for you. And then again, for Paul, in speaking to Timothy, he'll teach us that the gospel is practical. In other words, the gospel has to do with all of our lives. In other words, our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who have come to know Jesus through the gospel, our lives are now intertwined with the message of the gospel. In other words, we cannot be separated from the gospel, nor can the gospel ever be set aside or separated from us. 
So as we look through this letter, for the non-believer, the gospel is a message of hope. It's a message of salvation. For the believer, the gospel itself should remind us of our position before God, our present power by the Spirit, and ultimately our eternal future that is now secured in Jesus Christ for the glory of God. So as believers, with a message of hope for a restless and wandering world, we, the church, we need more gospel leaders in our midst. And so this is exactly what Paul speaks of as he opens what can be called his most personal letter, and he writes this letter to Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we will begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place, and you can, and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word. Now again, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to just worship you through the study of your word. Father, in the midst of walking into a new year, in the midst of anticipation and hope of what may come, in the midst of even the uncertainties of what tomorrow may bring. Father, we pray that in these next few moments as believers that we would rest in the assurance that we have in you. So Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth today. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to worship you through the reading of your word, worship you through the singing of your word. And so, Father, now we pray that you would prepare our hearts as we worship you through the study of your word. And God, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the gospel. And Father, now we pray that your word would speak and move in our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, obviously, this letter opens by giving us the key figures of our text. We see we have Paul and Timothy. Now, Paul begins by giving us a little bit of his origin and purpose for his apostleship, which we'll talk more about here in a moment. But he's also going to then describe some of Timothy's background as well, both in life personally, but also in his own ministry. So as we look at these verses, we should begin to learn how God calls us according to his will and then shapes us by his grace. So let's go back and look at these verses again and look at how God builds what can be described as a gospel leader. First, we're going to see in verse 1 that a gospel leader is called by God's will for God's purpose. Now again, Paul opens by saying that he, in his words, is an apostle of Christ Jesus here in verse 1. Now, by making this claim, Paul now places himself in the same camp as the original 12 that were selected by Jesus as apostles. We see this going all the way back to the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 6. Now, we know that Paul's apostleship was clearly different from the others because obviously Paul was a late addition to the party. However, we also know that the Lord commissioned Paul on the Damascus road with the call to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, because of this late call, it, this is why Paul would ultimately humbly say of himself that he is the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because, in his words, I persecuted the church of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Now, this is important for us to note because, you see, Paul was not a fisherman, Paul was not a tax collector. Paul was not old. Paul was not young. Paul was not zealous for whatever it was he was dealing with in the time. Rather, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. This is how Paul would ultimately describe himself. And yet, because of God's sovereign grace, God chose to call Paul and therefore included him within a select group of leaders. Now, this is important for us to notice because you see, we need to remember this. If God can call a man like Paul, if God can work through Paul, then imagine what God can do through us. Now, Paul continues from there and he says that he is an apostle by God's will. You see, Paul realized that his apostleship was not given to him because of anything that he had done, nor was it a position that he had volunteered for. Rather, Paul was here, again, not making a career move. Rather, he was summoned to it. He was chosen for it. He was elected by God and therefore appointed to it by God. So Paul is fully aware of God's sovereign grace and God's divine will for his life life. This is what would ultimately lead Paul to claim in Galatians chapter 1 in speaking of himself. In verse 1 he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Again in Ephesians he would go on to say of himself in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You see, God called Paul. It was God who shaped 
Paul into a mighty leader and God called Paul to grace and therefore empowered Paul with divine strength. You see, when we think about Paul and we think about it in the context of our own lives, we need to recognize that we are not apostles. We're not one of the original ones that was called. However, we do share some common experiences with them as those who trust in Jesus Christ. You see, it was God who called us to himself. And he did this by his own will for his own pleasure. And so by his power, he now enables us to live faithfully for him and to serve faithfully for his own glory. Again, we didn't volunteer for this assignment. God chose us for this. We didn't get to choose The Lord is the one who revealed himself to us. Now Paul continues from there and he says, coming back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now the promise promise of life that Paul is speaking of here is this is actually Paul's way of recognizing that he has now been commissioned to communicate the gospel. Now this this is interesting and we need to pay attention to this. Because you see, Paul is now at a point where he is awaiting death. And yet it was Paul who knew that the promise of eternal life rested in Christ Jesus because it is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ that ultimately gives life. And the reality is this. At the center of the message of the gospel is a person, and we call him by name, and his name is Jesus. This is why Paul found such joy in prison. You see, Paul realized that the gospel itself is like water. It's not invented by man. But man cannot live without it. You see, faithful servants of Jesus Christ, people who want to be and become gospel leaders, which should be all of us, we now need to realize that we are now called to take the living water of Jesus Christ to thirsty men and women. And the reality is they are all around us today. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we showing the thirsty? Are we showing the thirsty where we found the everlasting water of Jesus Christ? In other words, are we sharing the good news? Are we sharing the gospel? You see, this was God's will by God's purpose This was his plan for his people. Now Paul continues from there in verses 2 through 7, and he teaches us that not only are gospel leaders called by God's will for God's purpose, but a gospel leader is now shaped by God's grace. So now what we're going to do in our text in verse 2 is we're now going to move from talking Paul talking about Paul to now Paul turning our attention to Timothy. We see that Timothy is a young man. Timothy is a young pastor who's leading a very challenging church and so Timothy was still a work in progress yet by God's grace Timothy 
had three influences in his life that would ultimately shape him into the gospel leader that he would become. That first influence in his life would be, again, by God's grace, God gave Timothy a mentor. We see this in verses 2 through 4. Now, we know this mentor is Paul. Now, Paul and Timothy possibly met when Timothy embraced the gospel on Paul's initial visit to Lystra. We see this back in Acts chapter 14. Now, during Paul, uh, Paul actually visited Lystra a second time, and the brothers spoke highly of Timothy, referring to his spiritual growth and maturity. So ultimately, Paul would then take Timothy with him on his mission. Again, we see this in Acts chapter 16. So when you look at the relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy, clearly we can say that Paul viewed Timothy as his own child. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, when you come back to our passage today in verse 2, he calls Timothy, my beloved child. So now we're beginning to see and understand the depth of the relationship that Paul shared with Timothy. But Paul wasn't done there. You see, Paul speaks of Timothy's character and loyalty as a disciple in Philippians chapter 2. And so coming back to our passage today in 2 Timothy chapter 1, out of love for Timothy, notice that Paul highlights the indescribable love of God by extending grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, here in this moment, Paul teaches that through Jesus Christ, God now gives grace to the desperate. That through Jesus Christ, by his own grace, he now gives mercy to the guilty. By God's grace, through Jesus Christ, he now offers peace to the restless. We then get to verse 3, and Paul then thanks God for Timothy. But notice, he also says this of him. He says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, Paul was talking here of both a constant state of prayer, but also designated times of prayer um, that were similar to what Jesus was doing back in Luke chapter 5, particularly around verse 16. So when we think of prayer and we ask ourselves the question, should we pray without ceasing, Absolutely. However, for the believer in Christ, we should also seek to set aside time for intercession as well. You see, Paul may have been locked in prison, but notice that his heart was still free to seek God in prayer. Though Paul was imprisoned, and chances are he was suffering under harsh conditions, Paul still realized that he had work to do. And this work was done by praying for the man that he had mentored and discipled. Even in prison, Paul gives us his condition when he says that he is praying with a clear conscience. You see, Paul, in saying these words, recognizes that he was not sinless. But by God's grace, he was now guiltless. 
You see, Jesus had taken uh, Paul's death that he deserved, this, this sinner's death, and he had taken it on for himself through his substitutionary death on the cross. And so Paul now understood that he had received the wonderful blessing of Jesus Christ. So as he approached death, he was at peace with God because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to think about this for a moment. Because you see, here's the reality. We are all dying, okay? We're not getting any younger. I noticed this yesterday as I was out with my children. We enjoyed the day. We went on a walk. All we did was walk the neighborhood uh, several times, roughly 30 minutes. I came home looking for ibuprofen and a knee brace after a 30-minute walk, and I'm like, this is what it feels like to get old. And then my children wanted to play a game. And so I was like, all right, what game do you want to play? They wanted to play cornhole. By God's grace, we were gifted a cornhole set. So we busted that thing out. And we had a wonderful time. I want you to know that my, my 12-year-old, soon to be 13, is the best cornhole player in our house. She's pretty dominant. I'm pretty terrible. But here's what I noticed. After they went to bed, the knee brace went back on. I was ready to wrap my elbow in ice. And again, I was ready to pop ibuprofen like it was Skittles. And I just looked at my wife and said, this is what it must feel like to get older. You see, in that moment, I realized that we are all approaching death at some point. As we approach our own deaths, pay attention to Paul's words here. Paul teaches us and shows us that there is nothing greater than knowing that our sins are forgiven. There's nothing greater than knowing that our eternal reward awaits us because of what it is that Christ Jesus has done for us. But pay attention here because Paul's not done. You see, Paul now moves into verse four and he says this in speaking to Timothy. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You see, now we begin to see more of Paul's love for Timothy. You see, the last time they were together, we clearly know that there were tears that were shed. And so now Paul wanted to see Timothy one more time in order to be filled with joy. So now we are beginning to see both a faithful believer's confidence before death, but also a loving mentor's attitude towards the man that he had been discipling. Now, as we read those words, do we now begin to see and understand the importance of life on life discipleship? Do we begin to see in the words that Paul spoke to Timothy by the time we get to verse four, do we see the importance of why the body of believers should continue to gather? Do we now see the importance of why we as churches collectively are seeking to find ways to continue to reopen so that the body of believers can gather? You see, the reality is we should be people who are willing to invest in one another. 
We should be people who love one another so much that we care for each other, that we willingly look to one another's needs. As Paul looking to Timothy, or better yet, Paul investing in Timothy, we're at a point where we need to ask ourselves, who is invested in us? And better yet, second question, who are we now invested in? You see, here's the reality when it comes to discipleship. Discipleship ultimately turns to mentoring, helping one another grow in our faith, helping one another grow in righteousness. But here's the reality. That relationship has to have two essentials, love and prayer. You see, Paul loved Timothy. And so Paul prayed for Timothy constantly, not just the the prayer without ceasing, but also the setting aside time to specifically pray for Timothy. But at the same time, not only did he love and he prayed for Timothy, but he also mentored and discipled Timothy in areas such as calling and character and competency. And so now we have to ask ourselves, as believers in Christ, who are we invested in that we are now fanning the flame of calling? Who are we now invested in that we are helping them grow to develop Christ-like character? Who are we now invested in that we are now helping grow in their competency of the word? You see, this is not just a word for us to think about or a word for us to even question. Rather, this is a calling that is placed upon every believer of Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is Paul living out the God-given call that he has because of Christ in investing in his relationship with Timothy. You see, the reality is whether we're in a pandemic or not, we have a responsibility to invest in one another. We have a responsibility to care for one another. We have a responsibility to shepherd one another. And by God's grace, we are given multiple opportunities and multiple avenues to be able to do that very thing. So let me encourage you in the days ahead, whether it's getting in one of our gospel communities in person or whether it's joining them via Zoom online, find a way to connect with the body of believers that you are a part of here at Southside Baptist Church and then commit to one another, to love each other, to care for one another, and then to grow in your discipleship and mentoring together with one another. But you see, Paul's not done here. Paul now speaks of how Timothy, by God's grace, has now been shaped by the influence of a godly family. We see this in verse 5. You see, Timothy had both a mom, Eunice, and a grandmother, Lois, who had, according to Paul, a sincere faith. In other words, these women had an observable faith, and they clearly must have taught Timothy much about the Scriptures, particularly when it comes to the Old Testament and what it was that they had seen and heard about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important for us, and I don't want to labor this point because we've already discussed this point. You see, our children, and yes, I said our children, meaning the church's children, they are a wonderful gift from God. 
That's why it doesn't bother me as your pastor to see our children moving about. That's why it doesn't bother me when a yellow ball used to get thrown at me to the front row here. That's why it doesn't bother me when the kids are moving about during the service or they're moving up and down the aisles. You see, that noise that we hear, that laughter, the screams, that is a wonderful gift from God reminding us that he has secured his promise to us by being the local church, the body of believers who celebrate the victory that can be found in him. You see, our children are a blessing. And so if children moving about in a service bothers you, let me just paraphrase Jesus for a moment in the Gospels. Get over it. They're children. Let them be kids. Let them act like kids. And let's remember the great blessing that our children are. Now, I keep emphasizing that phrase, our children. And the reason for that is because right now on a yearly basis, we have a parent-child dedication. And a part of that dedication is us as a faith family committing to that family that we are going to help them and encourage them and help see to the spiritual upbringing of their children. So if you were here on that day, or better yet, you were a member of Southside Baptist Church, you have committed to the responsibility of seeing to the spiritual upbringing of our children. And we've committed to do this together. You see, at the same time, not only are children a wonderful gift, but this gift comes with a great responsibility. You see, we as believers in Christ, mature, older believers in Christ, we have to be willing to live out our Christian faith for our children to see. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves, whether it's our own children, our own grandchildren, or the children that we have just come to know and love in our church, how are we teaching them the ways and the truths of God. You see, Paul's not done there, though. You see, Paul then reveals to us in verses 6 and 7 that Timothy was also, by God's grace, shaped by another influence. You see, Timothy was shaped by the Spirit. You see, it was here at this point that God has now shaped Timothy into a gospel leader through the presence and the gifting of the Holy Spirit upon his life. This is why Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. You see, I would imagine at this point, we could probably recognize that Timothy in his youth, Timothy in his heartaches and his frustrations, we need to realize that Timothy probably had weaknesses. Timothy was timid. Timothy was still relatively young. Thus, the importance of the work of the Spirit on Timothy's life. You see, here's the reality that we need to address today. God delights in using the weak and the ordinary in order to demonstrate his mighty power. You don't believe me? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And here we see God using broken jars of clay so that he alone would receive the glory. 
Now back in our text here in 2 Timothy chapter one, Paul urges Timothy to keep ablaze his gift through the laying on of my hands here in verse six. Now we need to pause and make reference to this verse because you see Paul here is actually referring to the commissioning in which Paul affirmed God's call in Timothy's life. So Paul is now reminding Timothy that God equips his servants to fulfill their ministry by granting them both spiritual power and spiritual gifting. So what we see happening here is Paul's affirmation of what God is doing through Timothy's life. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are ours through him who is for us and him who is with us. And therefore, because God is for us, because God is with us, this gifting should now inspire us to work for the glory of God. Now again, Paul, in being intentional with his words, calls Timothy as a gospel leader to now develop and use his gifts in verse six, but then also to maintain spiritual discipline in verse seven. This is why we read that he has now called Timothy to fan into flame. Now that's a phrase that we need to underline in our Bibles and pay careful attention to because Paul, again, he's not misusing words here. Rather, he's intentional with his words. Paul actually uses the present tense here in the Greek, which actually calls for an ongoing action. In other words, Paul is urging Timothy to make full use of his gifts and to keep them sharp or to keep them lit. You see, God gave Timothy gifts to be used. And so these gifts needed to continue to be developed. In other words, when it comes to our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, there is no room for sluggishness in the Christian life. Should we rest? Yes, absolutely rest However, laziness, passiveness, and timidity should not characterize believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, I think Jim Elliott speaks of this point very well and very articulately. Jim Elliott, the great missionary, in, in thinking upon this passage and, and these words of, of living faithfully, living boldly, working hard, resting well, but continuing, continuing to faithfully and boldly serve, he says these words in one of his prayers. He says, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. It is upon these words we need to ask, are we using the gifts that God has given us passionately for Christ? I ask because here's the reality. Too often times I sit in my office, I receive emails, I get phone calls, I hear this from other pastors that I'm talking to and, and mentoring in this season. I sit around and I hear them uh, talk about people who come to them and say, well, we are simply waiting to be asked in order to serve. 
they'll hear stories of how people simply came to a place because they thought they were going to be needed. But here's the reality. We need to be careful here when we say these words not to make our gifts and our services about ourselves. You see, if God has gifted you, then go. If God has gifted you to serve, then go and serve and use that gift. Connect with the leadership of our church. If you're a guest with us visiting and you have another home church, connect with the leadership of that particular church and let's find a way to begin to put the gifts that God has given you to work for the glory of God. You see, we need to be using the gifts that God has given us because of the grace and mercy that he has shown us in Christ, but also so his name would be made great. Now we move from there into verse seven and here Paul encourages Timothy to maintain discipline. He says to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You see, here Paul reminds Timothy that fear does not come from God. You see, when the Spirit is at work in us, we need to recognize that love, power, and boldness are the marks of the Spirit that are at work in us. We see this all the way back to Acts chapter 4 when looking at the New Testament church. Now again, we don't know the object of Timothy's fear here. But what we do know is this. We do know that Timothy's fear did not paralyze him from working. We also know this. We know that now we as believers are called to fight fear with the promises of God. We see this in Acts chapter 18. You see, the Spirit not only gifts us, but the Spirit also provides the power needed in order to minister and in order to to endure. So if you look at particularly verse 6 and 7 here, and we could paraphrase this for a moment, just imagine Paul saying these words to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son whom I love, be disciplined, be diligent, be brave, for God is with you. What a promise that we have. You know, the question we have to ask now is, have we ever faced fear? The answer is, of course. I think in some way, shape, or form over this past year, many of us have faced fears that we never expected before. Fears with family, fears of losing jobs, fears of losing, lo losing loved ones, fears of what may or may not happen in the, the next day. And so we've all faced fear. And so if you're here and, and those fears are fresh on your mind, then can I encourage you to listen to Paul's words for a moment here as we've read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We can actually fight fear by reminding ourselves of the promises of God that are found in his word. So when you hear you fear, or excuse me, you feel fear stepping into your life, you feel fear creeping in, you start reading the news and hearing of all the uncertainty and the tribulation that the word that the world is facing, then the best thing that you can do at that moment is turn off your TV, turn off your social media, and get in the word of God. 
You see, as believers in Christ, we need to stay close to the word because our world wants answers and we have them and they are found in the truth of God's word. So as believers, we are now without excuse when it comes to the call and the mission that God has given to us. You see, God has given us the spirit. God has given us gifts needed in order to execute the ministries that we have been called to do. And so let's go and serve faithfully. So now we come back to our question. How is a gospel leader made? Well, according to Paul's words here, a gospel leader is made by God's provision and by our own humble responsibility. You see, we see in these first passages, the first verses here that God appointed Paul. God enabled Paul and he was not passive about his call. We also see that for Timothy, God, by his grace, gave him a mentor, he gave him a family, and he gave him the Spirit of God in order to grow him and to then do the work that he was called to. So Timothy, being raised in the gospel, recognizing the call, now understood the responsibilities of his call and now began to grasp the urgency with which he is now called to live. So what about us? Do we recognize the gift of grace that God has shown us through Christ Jesus our Lord? Do we recognize the gifts that God has given to us in the midst of a new year? I mean, what are we, we're four days, three days in? In the midst of a new year, are we resting in his promises? Are we relying on his power and are we serving him with passion? You see, if we can say yes to any of those questions, if we can say yes actually to all those questions, then we are now on our way to the call of becoming a gospel leader. Shaped by God's grace, done for God's will, by his purpose, all for the glory of God. Let's pray together.